today we celebrate Pentecost. Pentecost is a Greek word that means 50, and the occasion of Pentecost is 50 days after the celebration of Passover. Uh, originally, Pentecost was a harvest festival. Uh, there were two different harvest festivals, one at the beginning when the first uh, fruit became available, and then another one when the rest of the, the harvest took place. So two harvest festivals. Um, by the time of Christ, the the first of those two, Pentecost, had acquired an additional meaning. It was a celebration of the of the giving of the law to Moses. When Moses went up Mount Sinai, came back down with the tablets of the law, uh, that was remembered at the time of Pentecost, so that it acquired this extra significance in the life of the people of God, which raises a bunch of questions for us, which is which boil down to why why do we care? We are not farmers. We don't. I mean, some of us grow things, but we we are not generally farmers. We don't have harvest festivals. We uh, are not under the law. Jesus fulfilled the law, and He gave us in its place the the law of love. So we're not celebrating the the uh, Mount Sinai law. Uh, so uh, why do we why do we celebrate Pentecost? We don't observe uh, Passover. What does this uh, celebration have to do with us? Well, the answer, of course, is that something important happened at Pentecost. Uh, something happened that does affect us, and um, and I, it's the it's the fault of people like me, I think, preachers who stand up in the front of buildings, that that uh, the significance of what happened at Pentecost isn't isn't uh, appreciated. So we don't we don't seem to think of Pentecost as being just as important of an occasion in the in the life of the people of God as Christmas or Easter. Uh, everybody would agree those are important uh, celebrations, but a, a lot of people wouldn't appreciate that Pentecost is just as important as those two. So what I want to do is try to begin correcting that misapprehension. And again, I'm not saying that this is your fault. I'm saying it's the fault of people like me who haven't stressed the significance of Pentecost. So I want to begin correcting that today or uh, continue the work of correcting it, maybe is a better word. So um, what I want to do is I want to talk about Pentecost uh, from the point of view of why it is significant for us, and um, uh, to to understand uh, why it's significant, um, I'm going to ask you to put yourself in the position of someone in in the time of our reading today, somebody uh, who was in, in uh, Jerusalem in the middle of the, the first century, sometime in the 30s AD, and uh, if, if you put yourself in that position, you can imagine that um, as, as, as Pentecost begins, you could say, it looks like things are going to be okay this, this, uh, this time. Uh, a couple of months ago, we had that guy come into town, that Jesus character who came into town from Galilee. He and his, uh, his uh, uh, disciples, his followers, were proclaiming him as a Messiah, and that could have caused all kinds of trouble. Uh, he, he would have been the spark that set off a blaze in a very dry pile of wood. And so uh, maybe you would say, I'm glad that that, that didn't happen. Um, whatever happened to his disciples, maybe they slunk back to uh, Galilee. They certainly aren't uh, visible in any way we can find here in Jerusalem. So you might say, okay, well, problem averted, that whatever problem Jesus posed to the establishment, to the order of things in Jerusalem... You know, that's, you know, it's been two months and, and things have kind of settled down now. So, so you might say, okay, good. That's, that's behind us now. What you would not have said is you would not have said that, uh, that the, there, there, 
the whole problem was gone. The spark may not be a problem. Jesus, uh, if you thought of Jesus as a spark, you might think to yourself, well, the spark has, has been dealt with, but you would, you would still say there's a lot of dry wood here in Jerusalem. And by dry wood, I mean that there were conditions were there for a rebellion or at least a riot at any given moment. So, for example, um, some of the problems that they were dealing with were, were income inequality. Uh, income inequality that, that, that staggers our imagination. Uh, scholars tell us that between 70 and 90 percent of the people uh, living there at that time would have been in doubt about their their food for that day. That on any given day they wouldn't have known for sure if they were going to be eating anything at dinner. So that's how that's how uh, deep poverty cut in in a first century Jerusalem. So there's income inequality because there are of course a few people who are fabulously rich, but there's a great number of people who are very, very poor. Um, they probably actually had better race relations in a lot of ways than we do in our country today. Uh, but uh, those were made up for, perhaps, or, or that, that, that bright spot was made up for by the fact that they had very deep class divisions. You can imagine uh, if there is that kind of uh, inequality in, in wealth, there's a lot of class divisions that help shore that up. Um, and uh, very deep ethnic divisions as well. And uh, they were they were permanent divisions. There was almost no mobility, almost no social mobility. If you were poor, your kids would be poor too. Um, your your grandkids would be poor and their grandkids would all be poor. There was very little possibility for people to move between social classes. And as for the ethnic differences, uh, people cared a lot about ethnic differences, not just what country you were from, but what, what region of the country you were from, what city you were from, uh, what part of town you were from, even in fact, uh, what extended family you were from. These things all mattered enormously, and it made a big difference if somebody tried to, to move outside any of those boundaries because they cut very deeply. So, so there, there were these sorts of, uh, divisions that contributed to the dry wood pile that was, that was Jerusalem. And then on top of that, there was a distant and very arrogant imperial government. Rome was far, far away, and uh, they were not, uh, you know, nobody voted for Rome. They just got Rome. Uh, and they were, they were, um, uh, they were, they were very quick. Rome was very quick to, to say, it looks like trouble. Let's kill some of them and see if that settles them back down. They had a very brutal foreign policy. They would say, okay, well, what, what these people understand best is, is violence. And so let's make sure that they stay calm by, by uh, using violence against them. So they had a very, very, um, very, uh, uh, brutal way of dealing with unrest. They, um, imposed a, a crippling tax burden. And the bulk of it fell on that, that big mass of people. Again, most of the people are very poor. And so it affected them disproportionately because they had nothing to, to give in the way of taxes. So, so, uh, it was a, um, it was a, uh, a hard, a hard, um, burden to have this, this foreign government, uh, running the country. But they were also very arrogant. If you talk to most of the Romans at that time, they would have said that they were bringing the benefits of civilization to a bunch of barbarians. That would have honestly been their, their perspective, is that Rome was actually helping these barbarians out. So they were very arrogant. Um, and that was, that was the position of the, the Roman government. And then, and then, um, the, the religious establishment was trying to keep things together because when the people are, are oppressed and the government is, is brutish, there is, uh, 
the possibility at any given moment the people would would have a riot or something like that and it would be put down at great cost of life and so so the religious establishment saw that one of their roles was to help hold things together but by doing so they sometimes sacrificed their moral authority for worldly influence and uh they sometimes uh it, it was true that uh that uh, instead of a living faith in a loving god they uh promoted a type of religion that, that was very cold and formal type of of box checking so that was the situation in in Jerusalem uh, on Pentecost the day of Pentecost about 2 months after the time that Jesus was crucified and uh then later rose so that's the situation and and as i went through that that list of uh, of the the situation as i kind of painted that picture my guess is that some of you thought to you know that's not all that different you know we're dealing with some of those problems right now as as i'm speaking the news is filled with stories about rioting in Minneapolis and and Ohio and Kentucky um there's rioting because of police brutality um uh we're we're dealing with a lot of the same sort of problem not the same exact problem but similar problems things that we could we could understand as being similar to those and it it's it's not just something that we deal with here in this country uh there's been in the news this week there's been news about uh, protests resuming in uh, Hong Kong because of moves by the um by the government in in Beijing to to impose a greater deal of uh control over over Hong Kong uh we've been seeing uh during the course of this pandemic certainly the last month or so there've been people who have been uh, protesting about about uh what is the right level of of government control and we've been seeing on top of all of that layered on top of all that the 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 social media outrage culture where where people get canceled because they make one mistake or sometimes they don't make a mistake they just say something that's unpopular so we've seen the cancel culture we've seen a lot of the same kind of simmering uh dry wood type of of situation in our own culture and sometimes it has been lit off by a spark so if we put ourselves in the position of that of that uh uh leader that person who's who's living in Jerusalem 2000 years ago on Pentecost uh, on the day of Pentecost we can say their problems are different but not unrecognizably different from our own and that they might say okay well good at least whatever threat jesus presented you know he was going to start a rebellion and you know there'd be blood and everything like maybe they thought well okay well at least that didn't happen but they would not they would not fool themselves into thinking okay well the problems are all solved they would have said that there are all kinds of problems in the world and the reason for that is they believed in something called sin they believed that the problems were deeper than simply uh uh the the surface the reason there was inequality the reason there was ethnic hostility the reason there was thuggish foreign government the reason for all of these problems wasn't simply because those people over there are bad and us people here are good they would say the problem is that there is sin in the world and they would have said the the prophets spoke about this people like jeremiah said that someday god would would intervene in the world to change us so that instead of having a cold heart a heart of stone um a, a hard heart god would give us a, a a soft heart god would give us 
a heart of flesh. This is the thing that their prophets had spoken of to look forward to. They had said, this is, this is the day we're waiting for. People like Jeremiah or Joel, they spoke of this coming day when God would intervene and change the inside of people. The, um, the, the, the writer Alexander Solzhenitsyn wrote about the, his experience in the, in the Soviet gulag system, uh, over the past, uh, the second half of the 21st, uh, the 20th century, he wrote about the Soviet system and he said, the line between good and evil runs right through the human heart. That it's not a simple matter of those people are bad and us people are good, or, or you are bad and I am good. It was a question of there is bad and good inside of each of us. And as a result, we have sin. We have sin in us. We have sin in the things we do, the things we, we fail to do, the, the way we think about other people. The, the feelings that other people create in us, that that's one type of sin. But we also have uh, social structures that, that lead to sin. We have, we have uh, systemic sin in the structures we build because they're, they're contaminated like, like we are. Um, they're contaminated by the people who build them, which is us, and, and sin runs through all of us. So uh, this, this hypothetical person looking out over the city of Jerusalem 2,000 years ago on Pentecost, he would have, he would have acknowledged this. He would have been grateful maybe that Jesus did not start some kind of a riot. Um, but he would also have been grateful that Jesus' followers had slunk back to Galilee or wherever they went to. And that's where the story of Pentecost really begins. That's the place we begin our story of Pentecost because it says they did not slink back to, to Galilee. We saw last week that they stayed in the city of Jerusalem. Jesus specifically told them, don't go back to Galilee yet. Stay here until the promise of the Father is, is, is given to you. So, so that's the place we pick things up in chapter two. It says, when Pentecost day arrived, they were all together in one place and they are laying low. At this point, the, the, the Christian movement is not even underground. It doesn't, it, it, it has zero profile at all. So they are, they are together in one place and they are laying low. And then suddenly a sound from heaven, like the howling of a fierce wind, filled the entire house where they were sitting. Wind is characteristically throughout the Hebrew scriptures, we see that wind is a sign of the Holy Spirit's movement, that, that the very word spirit is related to the word for breath or, or air, that, that, uh, wind is, is always been associated with the Holy Spirit. So they, they hear this, this sound from heaven like a, a fierce wind, and they saw what seemed to be individual flames of fire alighting on each one of them. So uh, each of them, not just their leaders, but every single person in the room uh, experienced this thing, and they could see on their, their uh, uh, the other people in the room, they could see these flames of, of fire, these individual uh, flames alighting on each one of them. And again, flame is another sign of the, of the, uh, the presence of God's Spirit. The, as we read through the Hebrew Scriptures, we see this over and over again. So they see these two manifestations of the Holy Spirit, and then they have a third. It says, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them to speak. So they are inspired to say things prophetically, to speak prophetically um, through the power of the Holy Spirit. So these are the, the three things that they would have expected the Holy Spirit to do. And uh, so, so they are... They are going through this, and then Luke changes the scene. He tells us there were pious Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. Some of the people like we talked about earlier, people who were reflecting on the circumstances of, of Jerusalem that day, uh, you know, that, that there was this iniquity and, and inequality and, and violence. Um, 
that there would have been pious Jews there, and, and Luke tells us there were. And when they heard this sound, a crowd gathered. They were mystified because everyone heard them speaking not in a, a Galilean accent that they could they could figure out, but they heard the language of home. Wherever they came from, they heard these Galileans speaking in their own home language. And they were surprised and amazed, saying, Look, aren't all the people who are speaking Galileans, every one of them? How then can each of us hear them speaking in our own native language? And then uh, they they list all the different, or, or at least a representative number of the, the groups that are there. Parthians, Medes, and Elamites. So those are people from, from the Far East, uh, people in Persia and, and the far end of the Fertile Crescent. As well as residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia. So moving further to the west, but still still east of uh, Jerusalem. Pontus in Asia, so now we're, we're in what is today modern-day Turkey. Um, Phrygia and Pamphylia, again, that's, that's um, to the north. And then Egypt and the regions of Libya bordering to Cyrene, so that's to the south. So we're kind of moving east and then down from the north to the south. Um, uh, and then visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism. So Rome far off to the west. And um, I, I sometimes indulge myself by telling you a little bit of Bible trivia that, that I can't resist. Um, as I was preparing my message this week, I discovered the word visitor. It says visitors from Rome. The, the word for visitor here is, is the Greek word epidemeo. And since we're in the middle of an epidemic, um, I thought I would let you know what the word epidemic means. An, an, an epidemic is a visitor. Uh, it is to, to make your home among strangers. And that's kind of what's going on with an epidemic. So there is this epidemic, these visitors from Rome, of both Jews and converts to Judaism, and then finally Cretans and Arabs, so people from the water, the water world, so people from the island nation of Crete and then from uh, the uh, uh, Arabian Sea. So Luke has kind of painted this picture. He's kind of drawn a mental map and, and moved across it. And he says, uh, we hear them declaring the mighty works of God in our own languages. And they were all surprised and bewildered. And they asked each other, what does this mean? And others others mocked. They jeered, saying, ah, they're just full of new wine. So that was the situation, that, that something happened. The Spirit uh, uh, gave these, ability, these people the ability to speak in, in the home languages of all these different people. And people are puzzling, what does this mean? And that's where Peter speaks up. Peter stood with the other 11 apostles, He raised his voice and declared, Judeans and everyone living in Jerusalem, know this, listen carefully to my words. These people aren't drunk, as you suspect. After all, it's only nine o'clock in the morning. For the last 2,000 years, people have wondered exactly whether Peter is making a joke there or what. Uh, One of my commentaries said that 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 last line of Peter's maybe had more force 2,000 years ago than it does today. So uh, make of that what you will, but... But uh, Peter says, of course they're not drunk, it's still nine in the morning. And instead he says this, he says, this is what God promised. This is what we've been waiting for. This is the thing that, that Jeremiah spoke of, the time when God would change our hearts, when when God would, would come inside of us. He says, um, this is what Joel said, and he quotes Joel at length. He says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Not just a few uh, religious uh, uh, um uh, rock stars, people like Moses or or Elijah, that God would pour out His Holy Spirit on all people. 
Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young will see visions. Your elders will dream dreams. Even upon my servants, men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will cause wonders to occur in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and cloud of smoke. The sun will be changed into darkness. The moon will be changed into blood before the great and spectacular day of the Lord comes. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So he says, this is what God promised. This is the day when God would pour his spirit out and it would not simply uh, flow over us like water off a duck's back. It would actually come into us. It would come into our hearts that, that what God is promising is to change us from the inside. That, that, uh, Peter is about to go on and talk about Jesus, as he does in every one of his sermons. Peter loves talking about Jesus. But I want to stop here before he gets there, because he's about to explain to this audience how how Jesus has reconnected them to God. But first he says, and because Jesus has reconnected you to God, there is salvation available to you. And by salvation, he doesn't simply mean, you know, you're entered on a different book up in heaven. He means that God would would... Once God was reconnected to you, God would actually come inside you, live inside you, and begin working in you. That God would begin fixing the, the, the parts of you that are broken. He would begin healing the parts of you that, that have been hurt. That, that God would begin working in, in our, uh, the, the way we see other people. God would be working in us to build community. That God would be teaching us things about Jesus and about ourselves, that that God would be guiding us, that God would give us strength, that God would even uh, enable us to pray better, that God would, would pray through us as we prayed to God. He says, this is what we've been waiting for. This is when God actually comes inside of us and works in us instead of simply on us. Jesus said that those who believe in him would do greater works than he did. Jesus began his ministry when the Holy Spirit came on him. Jesus knew how important the coming of the Holy Spirit was in his own ministry and in ours. I read a book some time ago and I'm going to I'm going to spoil it for some of you um, because you won't bother to read it. It's a good book. It's called Four Small Words. And it's by, um, by Jarrett Stevens. And he says, you can pretty much sum up all of Christianity in four simple words, four small words. The first word is of. It's the idea that God made the world, that God, that, that the world is of God, that everything we see, everything that, that, um, we experience in the world originated in God. So it's the world of God. The second small word is between that something has come between us and God. Something has has taken the, the, the world of God and separated it, moved it further from God, that, that it's that it's lost its intimacy with God. So the first word is of, the second word is between. The third word is with. And it's the idea that when Jesus came, he was Emmanuel. He was God with us. But he says the best of the four small words is in. That that. With the coming of the Holy Spirit, God is actually in us and living inside of us. So 
So if we believe this, if we believe that because of Pentecost, because of the coming of the Holy Spirit, the pouring out on the church and in believers, into believers, to change us from the inside, the question I would pose to you is this. As you reflect on the circumstances of our day, if you, if you, <laughs> if, if you reflect on the ways that our world is is like Jerusalem. It is a box of dry tinder just waiting for a spark. If you look at the news and you think about uh, our situation in, in this country in terms of police brutality, in terms of um, arrogant governments, in terms of race relations, if you think of all the ways our society is troubled, and then you say, but the Holy Spirit is living in me, then how would that change things? What would be the sign of that in your life? How would you be a different person in the face of uh, uh, income inequality or or poverty generally? How would you how would you deal with ethnic uh, divisions or or class divisions or race divisions? How would how would the Spirit of God living in your life change you from the inside out? Because Pentecost isn't as well celebrated as Christmas and Easter. But the pouring out of the Holy Spirit changes us so much. It is a holiday, it is a, it is a holy day worthy of celebrating and remembering. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that uh, Jesus kept his promise that he said he would send us a companion, a comforter, who would uh, be with us and live inside of us and guide us, uh, pray for us, uh, teach us, build a, a community to be the church that Jesus promised us and uh, promised to ask and you uh, gave him what he asked for, which is the pouring out of your spirit. Lord, work in us. Help us to see your spirit at work in, in our own lives. Help us to see how it is changing the way we relate to people of different races, different ethnicities, how we think about problems of violence in, in our police forces, uh, in, in the way our, our country or other countries deal with social ills. Help us to, to think differently as people whose hearts are being changed from the inside out. We pray it through Christ our Lord and in the power of the Spirit. Amen.